in the morning. When you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's writing on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. Last week, multiple NFL teams uh, put out statements through the Players Association that they would not be attending voluntary workouts that start this week. Uh, But we have seen teams today start showing up. Michael Gelkin reported that uh, a lot of Cowboys players are in their building for the first day. And the Patriots, even though the Patriots were one of the teams that put out a statement saying that most of their players would not participate, uh, Cam Newton is apparently one of the players that has shown up this morning for the Patriots. So I'm I'm fascinated that the players couldn't find a way to all get on the same page and say we're all coming or we're all staying home. Well, and that's uh, that weakens your union, right, in terms of, and, and we know the Raiders took a vote, and I know for a fact it wasn't unanimous, but like you just said, I guess the you know the majority won it, whatever that means, and the other guys fell in line. So, yeah, it doesn't. I mean, again, when you have a union like this and you have a union telling you, stay away, please, we need you to stay away, we want you to stay away, and some of the teams do it and some of the teams don't, you know, advantage, you know, man, management and ownership in that point. I mean, you know, if, if you got guys going, this will be interesting, though, because today starts the voluntaries. If you're, let's say if you're in the Raiders or other teams, because we, you, you're right, the Patriots, actually, those guys came out and said we were going to stay away. Let's say you're the Raiders today and you're looking across the, you know, the, the, the country and the Cowboys are in and let's say the Patriots are in and other teams go in. Do you backtrack now? Like how many of these teams that they said stay away with like, well, we might as well go in. I mean, everyone's going in that. I mean, or do you think they stand behind what they said? Yeah, it's I think what's interesting here is the individual money part of this where. Like Cam Newton supposedly has a lot of incentives in his contract uh, for showing up to these workouts. And we know a handful of Raiders players have incentives in their contracts. Like this is part of their salary. This is part of the money they're supposed to make. And that to me is the interesting part of, okay, like you're, you're, you're supposed to be here to make money on your contract that you agreed to. But do you go against your union to make that money? I personally would. I personally would say, yeah, I'm showing up to get my money. You guys can stay home if you want, but I'm getting paid. No, I mean, and I, I should I should say a backtrack and say the Raiders did come out or at least intimate to the reporters that there will be concessions made for the guys who – I don't think these guys want to take a lot of money away from guys, especially like you said. I mean, I don't know what Derek Carr's contract is, but if you guy have a guy making a lot less money and yet he can come in and, you know – really you know not double it sorry but get a lot of bonus money it's really hard to tell that guy to stay away i mean it's just that that's hard thing so yeah you're right i think the guys with a lot of money in the line will show up um but i don't know how good a look this is for for the players association when teams are kind of your it's half split but this is the way it is and you know we'll see we'll see what happens with the raiders i just with the raiders my guess is the guys who have a lot of money on the line are going to show up that's a great great question Steph Curry scored 47 points in a loss to the Celtics on Saturday. Steph Curry has scored at least 30 points in 10 straight games, but right now the Warriors would be in the 9-10 play-in game based on the current standings. Is it cool? Uh, well, I don't care if they're good or not, but that you can still watch him and he can still rem- like remind you how incredible he is. Like, 
The yeah. team's obviously not as good anymore. That's fine. But he's on a team that I don't know if you – I mean, I, I think you like the Warriors like her, but I just love watching him. I don't care if they win or not, and they're not very good anymore. But anytime he's on, like, he, you want to watch him. And he's one of those, you know, rare athletes that you can have nothing invested, but if you turn the channel or he's on, then you'll watch the game. He's unbelievable. I mean, he, yeah, he's unbelievable. he is the face of how basketball changed in the yeah. last decade of going to three-pointers, and specifically the NBA going to off-the-dribble three-pointers. Too. Like, he's he's the face of that because he's been so good at hitting threes, and it's not a catch-and-shoot or even a runoff screen catch-and-shoot. It's a, hey, he can do it off the dribble. And it's led to, you know, Damian Lillard does a lot of the same things, James Harden in a step back. Like, they've changed the way basketball is played, and Curry's yep. the face of that because he's, yeah, he's so great. good at shooting. So good. It's unbelievable how good he is shooting on the move or on the dribble. That it's yeah, it's it's phenomenal to watch, and it's yeah. it's why basketball's changed because he was so good at it, and the Warriors became so good for five years because of it. Yeah. Next question. Uh, so Zion Williamson played in Madison Square Garden over the weekend, and after the game, said this. I'm glad you asked that. Actually, uh, New York is the mecca of basketball. I love playing. I love playing here. Uh, when I played here in college. And this is my first time playing here in the pros. And, I mean, this this atmosphere, you know, whether they're cheering for you, whether they're booing for you, uh, it's amazing. Uh, honestly, I think outside of New Orleans, obviously, I think this might be my favorite place to play outside of New Orleans. I can't even lie to you. I can't lie to you. Is there anything better than Knicks fans getting their hopes up that they will sign uh, a big-name free agent? Well, Look, sidebar to this, I just refreshed it. New Orleans given Zion $400 million to save. Because that's what no, I mean, I, you know what? I mean, I know Giannis stayed, so you do have superstars who have, you know, re-upped. But, I mean, are we really going to be shocked as good as this guy is when the time comes? If he looks at a big market to market himself? I mean, you can. he's already been marketed. Again, you put him like Kawhi out of Toronto. I'm going to L.A. Guys, you know, LeBron in L.A., as good a player as this is and how you know how huge he is and how you market him, I don't know if either of us, you know, several years down the road are gonna be surprised if he goes to a market like this. Yeah, the problem is is it's hard to see New Orleans being a legitimate championship contender. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, fairly soon. And so like Giannis stayed with Milwaukee, they they're a legitimate they're title yeah. contender. And now granted, you can be a title contender and still lose your best player. But if New Orleans is, you know, never higher than the seven seed in the in the West over the next four years, then there's no way Zion stays because he's going to go somewhere where he can win a title, team up with somebody better, and, and that might be New York. But I I hope the Knicks, starting now, have their hopes up, and in four years, yes. Zion can go somewhere else and hurt them again. Next question. Kevin Durant left the Nets game on Sunday with a left thigh contusion. He's getting reevaluated this morning, um, but he just came back April 8th after missing nearly two months. Are the Nets ever going to be fully healthy? I mean, this dude's body is just broken down. Um, so I don't know at this point if you can count on him, you know, for the supposed playoff run where everyone thinks they could get to the finals if they get out of the East in the finals. So, I don't know. I think he, I think he's got, you know, he's like I said, his body's breaking down, which is, you know, he's just, he's not old enough to that point. He's had some really bad injuries, like the, the Achilles and stuff. Those are, those are really bad. I mean, like, if you're in your low to mid-30s, then uh, in your mid-30s, you usually end your career at that point. But, 
Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if they're going to be ever healthy. And I don't know. We've seen some scores lately where if it matters. Um, but I'd li- I'd, I mean, I'd like to see them completely healthy because I'd like to see what they could do in the playoffs because they'd be a fun team to watch. But I don't know if you can say that given how much he breaks down now. Yeah, I mean, and the thing is, is Kevin or Kevin Durant was, what, I think he had one significant injury in Oklahoma City, and then he was fine in Golden State until the, the playoffs of basically the playoffs. last year. And then he didn't play all of last season, and now he's had separate injuries here. We'll see how serious this one is. It might not be a big deal, and he might be back, you know, this week. But it's just like the Nets put together this team that, in theory, is going to be so much fun to watch but they've almost hardly had Kyrie Irving, James Harden, and Kevin Durant play together. And now it's a point where you're just like, okay, well, can you guys all just be healthy for the playoffs so we can see it then? And I I don't even know if they're going to be healthy then because it feels like they're never going to have all three of them together. He's a 32, um, but the body's not responding like a 32-year-old. I mean, I, you know, he's, I don't know how much, you know, how how this is going to affect him or how long he would play, but I thought he was a little younger than that, so... He's got to get healthy, but it seems like he—it seems like he has an issue right now with his body. Man, you know that's a great question. Trevor Lawrence is donating twenty thousand dollars to Jacksonville charity. So, Jaguars fans sent Trevor Lawrence wedding gifts because he got married since the end of college football season before the draft. Uh, even though he hasn't been drafted by the Jaguars yet, and in return. Trevor Lawrence says he's going to donate money to Jacksonville Charities. Um, I, I know it's it's been a foregone conclusion for a yeah. while that Trevor Lawrence is going number one, but it's still kind of incredible that fans are sending him wedding gifts and he's going to now say ahead of time, I'm donating money to Jacksonville Charities. Yeah, not surprised that the fans, fans are out of their minds. So they're shipping this kid like, you know, uh, coffee machines and I don't even what you send anymore, but whatever you send to the, the, the happy couple. So that part didn't surprise me at all because they're fans. The fact, it, before he got drafted, he acknowledged it and then say he and his wife are putting $20,000 charity. I mean, I don't wish any ill will on the kid. I know nothing about him other than I would kind of fall off my seat laughing if the first thing, first pick is Zach Wilson, Brigham Young University. I mean, that would be kind of funny. But I guess in the, the story you're talking about, I was more surprised he responded. Now, you get drafted one overall. Tweet all you want about the the wedding presents on what you're giving, right? I mean, and I'm sure they've already told him he's the first pick. I'm sure Myers already told him, at, probably told him at that workout, we're taking you number one. But you don't see it often. And those were the, those were kind of the responses of the tweets. Like, man, this guy better go number one. Like, he's already <laughs> tweeting about it. It's like, that was actually pretty funny because that's not something you see every day. I mean, it would be incredible if between now and the start of the draft, somebody came oh. to Jacksonville and said, all right, you can have yeah. our next 10 first-round picks. Yeah. We want the first pick. And yeah. it's like, oh, I guess I'm not donating all this money to Jacksonville then. <laughs> I'm out. Jake Paul knocked out Finn Askren. Did you watch this, Ed? Don't need to watch it when I have Twitter, my friend. Because if you think VGK <laughs> Twitter goes crazy, you should see when there's fights. And I'm going to I'm gonna uh, go with my own colleagues there at the paper. They're very into this. They're very excited, so... No, I did not watch it. Did you? Uh, no, no chance. Uh, but I, I did see the, the highlight of the knockout on Twitter, like you did. And yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. With the, I'm, I'm agreeing with the general sentiment. Ben Askren took a dive. Oh, and what he got? He got a half a mil plus pay-per-view points? Yep, $500,000. I, wow. I am fully convinced he took a dive. No doubt about it. Wow. Well, it's a good night's work. We'll never get it. 
All right, coming up next, we'll get into some UNLV basketball and their newest commit, Justin Webster. And now a 30-second shot clock oh, violation oh, called by the officials when the Rebels looked like they had break. a runout. They had a break. I mean, that is just now. Man. San Diego State did have a couple guys back, but you don't blow that whistle when the Rebels were getting possession. It, that is a joke. You don't blow that whistle. <laughs> We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. So UNLV landed a new player over the weekend. Justin Webster is transferring into UNLV from Hawaii. He's averaged 12.3 points per game last season. Uh, and he can shoot threes. He hit 35% of his threes over his career, and he's taken more than four per game in his career at Hawaii. So, Justin Webster is here. The UNLV finally has a guy that's actually scored more than 10 points in a season for his career. Um, is that enough scoring slash shooting for Kevin Kruger this year? I'm not sure. I'm Actually, I'm going to look this up. I'm going to try to find it because there was a pretty interesting quote in Sam Gordon's story on him over the weekend, you know, about all the transfer portals. And it hit, it not only was in Sam's story, but Mike Grimaldi hit it on the head as well in that he's obviously recognized and, you know, good for him. I mean, good for him uh, as a, uh, as a coach that um, they need to be better defensively. And Sam had a lot of the numbers you've put out about efficiency and, and other things to where kind of explaining how bad they've been. Um, so yeah, I, I think we know how he's trying to build it, but as everyone has pointed out till now, there really wasn't a guy you knew for a fact that guy can score. So I do think the Hawaii kids a big, I've not seen a play. I'll say that. I just know what you know in terms of the numbers, but I just think like I told Mike perception wise, okay, Hey, you got a kid who can shoot here and, and this is what you need given the, you know, the signing so far kind of looks like you're trying to be a lot better defensively. Yeah, and it was at the expense of finding guys that were proven offensive players. Now, yeah. with Webster, so you're going to have the same concerns as David Jenkins because Webster is taking a step up in competition. He's going from the Big West to the Mountain West. Now, the Big West isn't horrible, but it's still not as good as the Mountain West. So he is taking a step up in competition. Expecting him to put up the same numbers he put up in Hawaii is probably unrealistic, but... I, to me, I, I'm a little optimistic about Justin Webster because of a couple things. First off, he can shoot. Uh, he's shot over 35% in his career. That's a couple of percentage points above the college average. So he's got a good three-point shot. Um, but the other part is despite being a three-point specialist, over 50% of his shots were from three in his career, uh, Webster still averaged 2.6 layups per game. Uh, only Mbaka Zhang and Bryce Hamilton averaged more than that last season for UNLV. And he still had a really good free throw rate. And free throw rate is simply uh, your free throw attempts divided by your field goal attempts. Basically just a way to find out how often do you get to the line compared to how often you shoot. Normally, guys that are three-point specialists have a terrible free throw rate because you don't get fouled when you shoot threes. Like Caleb Grill was, I think, worst in the Mountain West last year at free throw rate because he, he only shot threes and he never got fouled. So to have a guy that's mainly shot threes, he was seventh in the Big West last year in free throw rate, and his free throw rate would have been better than anybody on UNLV's team last year. 
to have a guy who's primarily a three-point shooter but also get to the line a lot. Yeah. To me, that yeah. like that's that's strange, and it suggests that Justin Webster, even though he doesn't have good assist numbers because he wasn't playing as a point guard, it suggests to me that Justin Webster actually has an ability to create his own shot, that he has an ability to get to the paint, get to the rim, and either get a layup or get fouled, which is something they did not have last year and something that maybe they don't really have on this roster either at the moment. And so I'm I'm kind of optimistic based on those numbers that Justin Webster might be able to do that. He might be able to be a pretty good playmaker for UNLV this season. Well, look, what you're saying is he's better than the guy who lived in a bad neighborhood. But I want to ask you this. Um, <laughs> I'm going to read you two quotes, and I want to get your idea. So this is from Sam Gordon's story, and this is about defense. And Kruger said, it's by far the biggest area we're emphasizing. We want to get guys who are going to go out there and just take a lot of pride in not getting beat. Hopefully the offense can flow off that. We do feel that the guys we brought in are capable and willing and high-motor guys speaking defensively. That's one thing. But the other thing I thought was interesting, it's not something we're trying to throw – it's not just something we're trying to throw a bunch of grad transfers out there and finish across the finish line. We're actually trying to build something that can be here for a couple of years. Let me ask you this because I wrote this the other day, and I want to get your thoughts on it. The transfer portal to me, I don't know if you're building a program anymore, Tyler. I think you're building a team, and I think you've said that as well, like – it's really hard to say, oh, yeah, we'll be good in four years. Like, you can't do that with a portal. So it's cool to me that he's, you know, focusing on defense and understands how bad they've been. I guess you, as a coach, you say you're trying to build, but you kind of got to win now in the world of the transfers, don't you? Yeah, I don't I don't think a, a college basketball coach ever needs to say they're building for the future. I, I mean, there's going to be some exceptions, right? Like, if Tim Miles says it at San Jose State, that's fine, because San Jose State's terrible. Yes, they're but, like... But if like if you're UNLV, there's no reason a head coach here should ever mention, "Hey, we're building for the future," because no. you can land a whole new team every year if you need to. Like if your team sucks, which UNLV wasn't any good last year, you can change everybody out. You can have an entire new team. Now UNLV hasn't really landed any marquee transfers. They're not like uh, San Diego State landing Cal's leading scorer. But you can have a whole new team. You can fill. It's it's like a professional team offseason where okay, we were bad in these areas, so let's go find a player that fits these areas. Oh, look, there's a whole transfer portal of guys who have proven they can do that at the college level. So if I'm, it's fine if he wants to say, hey, these guys can stick around. Like, that's a positive, right? If, if It's better to get a guy with three years of eligibility than one year of eligibility. But to me, that's very low on the importance uh, ladder here. We don't, like... I'm not looking for guys that are going to be here for three years. I'm looking for guys that can play right now. And, hey, if you're here for three years, great. If not, I'll do it all again next year because it's possible with the transfer portal. Right. And, look, again, this is a broken record here, but we don't really know how these kids from the Big 12 are going to translate where they start playing instead of, like, five minutes, 25. We don't know that. But it does seem, correct me if I'm wrong, the guys he's gotten – Unless they're coming in senior, I don't know if he has any of those. I think most of them have, you know, multiple years of eligibility. You're not going to lose them after one year unless we completely don't know about a kid and he's going to blow up and he's going to, you know, he's going to go. So in that sense, I guess the quote about building makes sense. But I think I think you got to win pretty fast. I, I yeah. just think with the there's too many transfers out there. I wrote the other day, you know, football, men's and women's basketball. There's now over four thousand kids in the portal. That, that that is an staggering number, and I have no problem with it because, like I said, I'm all for the portal, but. You kind of got to win now. I mean, and like you said, if they all come back the next year and you finish fourth, they all come back and you can make a run. That's good, too. But, you know, there's no more four or five year plans. And I, I would say the same in football. There's a ton of kids in the transfer portal now in football. 
Yeah, it's it, it, football. Like UNLV football is in the same boat as say San Jose State basketball. Where okay, right, if you're right, UNL, right. if you're at UNLV, you can talk about building for the future because right. the team has been so bad for so long. That's fine. But at yeah, football will probably be similar to college basketball. Probably not as bad because no. individual players don't make as big of a difference in football as they do in basketball. Right. But it's still a level of yeah, you can. You can bring in like it's again. It's it can be just like pro sports where okay, sure. This year we were bad at blank. Uh, all right, this this guy is in the transfer portal. This cornerback is in the transfer portal. We had a massive hole at cornerback. Let's go get him or two of them and plug him in and let's go from there. So it's it's absolutely like if you're a coach, you have to embrace it. And, and listen, Kevin Kruger has appeared to have embraced it because he's landed. Yes. What, what do we have to six transfers now? Well, but he's you, got to because ten left. Yeah, so you you have to embrace it because this is this is how you're going to acquire players. This is how you're going to create a good team. Yes, in an ideal world, you're still going to land some of the best freshmen and they're going to be there for three, four years and develop along the way and be great. But that's if, if that doesn't work, that, that often doesn't work. And hell, coaches aren't here for the end of that. I mean, the last two coaches UNLV has had, neither one has seen their first recruiting class to the end. Neither one right, has been here right. long enough to do that. So it's it's nice in theory to say we're going to land some good freshmen and develop them and they're going to be three- and four-year players. I mean, the reality is you might not even have a three- or four-year coach. Like, the coach might not be here that long. Yeah. So to develop three- or four-year players, it's it yeah, it still happens in college basketball, but it's not really how rosters are built now. And you've got to embrace the transfer portal if you're going to be successful, especially when you need to turn things around quickly so arroyo is sitting there divvying up responsibility he says jimmy you've got the portal johnny you need to look at below deck every episode there might be a kid in there we need so you now have a guy watching below deck because you know what you never know who's going to show up on that show you never know what kind of quarterback or running back might be jamming on that show and all of a sudden uh forget the portal you're just going to get the director of that show and get his number I already miss Max Gillum. <laughs> I know. I miss him. We I miss don't need him. a quarterback who's just a quarterback. Yes. Who wants that? Give us the quarterback that's on a reality <laughs> yes. show on a yacht yes. eating sushi off a model. Yes. I yes, I I miss Max Gillum. The I, the rest of these the quarterback battle between <laughs> the other yeah. three Bear. not as much fun as Max <laughs> no. Gillum on Below no. Deck. All right, coming up next, Ryan Wallace joins the show as we'll talk about the Golden Knights six game win streak. He his pants. This isn't the Alex Ovechkin Power Hour. This is the VGK Update with Ryan Wallace. Follow him on Twitter at RyanHockeyGuy. I'm out. Ryan Wallace, how are you, Ryan? What's up, Ryan? I'm good, Tyler. How are you? I am very good. So, the Golden Knights have won six in a row. How much do you put into that six-game winning streak, or how much do you look at it and say, yeah, they're not beating playoff teams, so it's not too relevant for the actual goals of this team? I mean, the goal of this team right now is to finish in first place, so if you can continue to collect points, it means something. Uh, I mean, certainly you can look at the the competition that the Golden Knights are, are facing or that they did face over these these six games and say, it's not competition that really moves the needle that much. But when you consider how the Golden Knights have gone about it and essentially dominating all six of these games, whereas earlier on in the year they were still beating these teams, but it was more finding ways to win than, than just um, 
dominating the game. I think there's growth there, but ultimately uh, the regular season is just a means to an end for this team. They're going to be judged by what they do in the playoffs. Well, the Kings might not make the playoffs, but nobody's beating those throwback purples, I'll tell you that. Hey, listen, like those, those are the greatest jerseys in the history of reverse retros. It's not even close. And you know what, Ed? They they wear those jerseys. They're in the playoffs in my book. Like, that, yeah, that's a win right there. Every night they should have those babies on with a crown. Uh, so we talked about this off the open. Want to get your thoughts um, – you know, everyone's, you know, the, the, the questions now to P, uh, DeBoer about the bottom six and, and Juan, how well they're playing together. Uh, if this continues um, and they're just really, really good and they're getting offense from a third and fourth line, and we know in the playoffs in the past, like, well, you got to get better in the third line. Does Ryan Reeves have a playoff spot here? You know, I, I think it's interesting, right? Like, we, we look at the fourth line right now with Carrier, Wah, and Yurko, and it's been – a pretty consistent threat to score in the offensive zone every single game that they've played. Now, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, more so Keegan Colasar than anything. If Colasar is able to get back in the lineup before Ryan Reeves is back and available, then Keegan Colasar can really kind of stake his claim to that spot. And if you get really good production from that line, then you get toward the playoffs. You've got to make some tough decisions. I think that you know, Ty's going to go to the veteran in this case, and that that's Ryan Reeves. But, you know, we'll see what ends up happening with this team. At least they've got different looks and different options that they can try in terms of their fourth line. Are you suggesting for Keegan Colasar to guarantee a playoff spot or a spot in the playoff lineup that he might have to actually start scoring goals? Well, he's got two, Tyler. <laughs> how many, how many uh, high-danger chances does he have this year? 35? No, he's got like 150. <laughs> like, and, and that's not unscientific. That's based only on the eye test. But listen, with Colasar, I, I think it's there. I think it's very, very seriously there for him. I think he's a player that gets around the net. And, and you talk about being direct. You talk about going to the right areas and, and getting your chances. That's what Colasar's done all year. And I, I like the way that he was playing before he got hurt. So, I, I mean... I, I don't think it's a stretch to say he could he could have somewhere in the ballpark of seven or eight goals already this year. Well, and, and, and to stay with that, and you know, look, I mean, if they all come back, let's say everyone's everyone's ready to go, and it's the first game against Arizona in the one four matchup. Um, we asked this before: if you take Colasar and Carrier, who are kind of like Reeves, but maybe you get a little more chance at least offensively, that kind of goes back to the theme of. Do they, you know, what does he do in terms of Reeves that the other two, I get maybe don't do it at best level, but they can give you enough of that to where it's like, you know what, you'll take the maybe slight edge that the others could create offense. Yeah, I mean, with, with Ryan Reeves, like, I, I think what you're looking at is more intangible than anything else. He's the type of player that when he's on the ice, um, there's, there's a presence that's there. You know that he's going to come in on the forecheck. You know that he's going to hit. And you know that if there's something that goes on, I don't think that it prevents things, but if, the, if something does happen, uh, there will be an answer from Reeves. Now, that all being said, I do think that what we've seen out of Keegan Colasar this year is a willingness to do all of those same things, big hits and, 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 uh, and a willingness to drop the gloves if needed. So uh, I, I think Ryan Reeves is an effective player. I think that he brings an element to the table that not many players in today's NHL do. 
but it comes down to a philosophical thing. If you want to have more scoring or at least more responsibility in all three zones from your fourth line, then you've got to make some decisions on which personnel are there. When it comes to Carrier and Colasar and Reeves, I think that you, you can kind of mix and match to your opponent. Like if there's a heavier, more physical team, then that lends itself well to Ryan Reeves. But if you've got more of a, a speedy, quick team that can score on all four lines, then maybe you've got to think about something different on your fourth line. Uh, what did you think of the Anaheim Ducks four-on-one last night? Well, they did the flying V in per- in, in real life, so I'm, I'm like I'm good with it. Um, yeah, it was it was a tough play for Alex Petrangelo. Um, probably wants to have the end of the play back, but I mean he scored and and atoned for that uh, that mistake. So you know it, it's a wash in my book, and it's a I flying listen. V. I'm, I am perfectly fine with Alex Petrangelo finding himself below the face-off dots and turning the puck over if it leads to more four-on-ones because four-on-ones are... I, I almost feel like there's too many guys if it's a four-on-one that you're destined to screw it up if you're the attacking team. Well, let's be honest. What we saw out of the Ducks on Friday, it lends us to believe they'd screw it up anyway. <laughs> it could be a 5 on zero and they wouldn't score, but again... like I, I'm, just, I'm glad that there was, a, there was an actual flying V in an NHL game and it was the ducks that did it. Um, and you, you're putting a lot of, uh, a lot of blame on Petrangelo. The pass wasn't particularly great from Riley Smith. So there's a lot of mistakes on that play. Uh, and it results in a goal, but the Golden Knights win the game. So it, it's fine. Not a big deal. Uh, Pete DeBoer said, what in the world could they do in these last 13 or 14 to separate themselves? I think he, the quote was uh, maybe a guy throws in a bunch of shutouts. Um, and it doesn't seem like, Neither of these goalies in the next 13, 14 games, maybe if one shuts out the avalanche, can do something to separate. So if it's all even going in, who would you give the nod to? I would continue the rotation. Really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like I mean, I just it's it's gotten you here, right? Like if if you're looking at these final 13, 14 games and you're saying that you can't really separate yourself, and, and again, this is under the under the um precipice that that if if they just everything's equal and they continue to win hockey games and there isn't really much that separates these two goalies then why put yourself in a position where you have to make a decision right like it doesn't make any sense just say we're going to rotate through in the playoffs until there is a defining moment that says robin leonard is the starter or mark andre Fleury is the starter go in with with a rotation you're you're nearly unbeatable when you rotate the guys out the way that you have been I would love it. Do you know how much I would love it? Because playoffs give us small sample sizes, and for them to like be 2-2 in a series and one goalie has lost both games, it'd be phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it'd be interesting. It'd be really interesting. But I, I, think, I think the whole point, though, is you don't want goaltending to become a story, right? Like, you don't want it to become a story. Now, if you go with one guy over the other, and then you lose a couple of games, then the story is, well, when are you going to go to your backup goalie? Mm-hmm. If you go into the playoffs and you say flat out, we're rotating, we rotated all season, we're going to rotate here, we think it gives us the best chance to win, and then you you stick to that rotation, then I don't think goaltending becomes a story. I, I don't know. I would go with it. I would, I would continue to go with it until it proves that it's not working. Uh, uh, for obviously a guy who loves hockey and knows the history of it, 
put in perspective what Patrick Marlowe will do tonight. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. I, I don't know that anyone ever thought that this would be a record that would that would be broken, and uh, that's a lot of hockey games for Patrick Marlowe. Uh, you know, he's he's incredibly consistent. He's He's been consistent as a scorer. He's been very, very consistent in terms of staying healthy his entire career. He can skate. And I think that's part of it, right? Like, you have to be able to find the jobs as you get older and older in this league. And the one thing that separates Patrick Marlowe, I think, from everyone else is his his ability to get up and down the ice. He still skates like the wind. And it's going to be really cool to be in the building when he breaks this record. And and it's it's going to be a fun game to be a part of. I wouldn't be surprised if Patrick Marlowe finds the back of the net because uh, you know, you, you kind of have to, right? Like, you kind of have to have a big game when you're passing Gordy Howe. No, you don't. Well, dude, he's got to get in a fight then, right? He's got to get a Gordy Howe Patrick if you're going to pass Gordy Howe. <laughs> well, then, I, I mean, I'm I'm for that. Like, I don't know who he's going to go with. Like, like which which would be like who would be the best dance partner for Patrick Marlowe if he were to get a Gordy Howe Patrick in in the all times games played record? Who would it be? Go, Tyler. Uh, Come on. Well, you'd have to bring him off the bench, but Marc-Andre Fleury. Well, no. Come on. <laughs> give me a give me a player. That would be the best if Fleury came off the bench to fight Patrick Marlowe. Wait, that'd be phenomenal. Wait a you, you, don't, you don't think it'd be better if, if it was Robin Leonard because we know how much Marc-Andre Fleury wants to get in the fight? Okay, that's true. That is a good point, yes. Uh, can Leonard also score a goal in this game as well? If if Robin Leonard has a goal, Gordie Howe hat trick in this game, it would be fantastic. <laughs> Our show would be set for three hours tomorrow. Yes, there be. there would literally be nothing to talk about, nothing There'd else, nothing to, else talk to talk about. about. Just that, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, he is Ryan Wallace, Ryan Hockey Guy on Twitter. Ryan, we appreciate it. Thanks for coming thanks, on. Thanks, Ryan. All right, thanks, guys. Oh, oh that'd be awesome. I'd so, like to see Leonard go at him. Well, of course, I mean, I'm here for any time a goalie's going to yeah. fight. That'd yes. be phenomenal, especially if they fight Patrick Marlowe the day he breaks Gordy Howe's record. For... And then people would be like, how can, you, how, can you, how can you do that to that 41-year-old guy? But in, in all seriousness, if, if Patrick Marlowe has a goal and an assist, oh. he, he's got to fight somebody. He's got, he's he got to drop the gloves against somebody. He's got to fight yeah. somebody. You, you, I mean, even, passing... if it's a Vander, even if it's a Vander Kane, fight your own guy. <laughs> like, just, just fight somebody. Like, he has to. If you're passing Gordie Howe and you get the goal and the assist, you have to complete it. And listen, if somebody on the – whoever it is on the gold – like, if Patrick Marlowe doesn't do it, somebody on the Golden Knights has got to skate up to him and say, hey, man, you want to fight? Like, they've, they've got to do it. You absolutely have to do it. You have to get like, the Gordie Howe hat trick. What if it's like William Carlson? The, That's the fine. Guy, dude, you, dude, you never fight. Get out of here. That's fine. Let it be like Jonathan Marcheseau, who can't yeah. reach his face. Like, it'll be great. You just, and he's holding – Jonathan Marshall's gold helmet, and he's flailing yes. his arms at him, and they can't even touch him like a child. Perfect. He's yes. doing. He's holding him by the head, and he's just swinging yes. his arms yes. underneath. Yes. yes, yes. It'll be absolutely perfect. That's you have to get in that oh, fight if you've got. The be chance. awesome. All right, uh, coming up next, uh, we'll, we might get into a little bit more soccer, but our sharp one. He's on a roll picking baseball favorites. It's time to find the sharp. Brought to you by PropSwap, where smart sports bettors buy and sell sports bets. Go to PropSwap.com today and find the very best odds. 
All right, Matt, uh, you won. Uh, even though you picked Friday night's game, it got postponed. We gave, we're giving you Saturday's game that DeGrom pitched. It's all good. The Mets won. So where would you like to go? You've got a streak of three here. Where do you want to go for your fourth game? Come on, Matty. Let's go with the Dodgers. All right, Ooh. we got the Dodgers in. Oh, They're playing one, it's a tough what, one. the Mariners? Oh. Yeah, okay. Oh, um, first place Mariners. Oh, it's a tough one. Uh, they are they are on the road. You better be worried about oh. those Mariners. Um, okay, we got you in for the Dodgers, Matt. Uh, good luck. We'll be talking to you Thanks, again Matt. tomorrow if you win. All right, sounds good. Um, oh, it's a tough one. By the way, there's a baseball game going on right now. The yes. Red Sox <laughs> are beating the White Sox six to one in the first inning. <laughs> the White Sox were favored. <laughs> what is what is happening here? Six to one in the first. Who's the, it's eight, oh, it's, it's 8 o'clock it's in off, the morning. Oh, my God. It's off of Giolito, too. Oh, my that, God. Well, maybe that's why they were favored. I guess he didn't show up. Jeez. 6-1 in the first. That's the, that, that happened last and, night, too, to the Cubs. And as we speak, Gramala's screaming at his television because there was a replay. <laughs> his team's up 6-1, to one and he's pissed off. <laughs> All right. You want, some, you want some Major League Soccer information, Ed? Okay, hold on. Jared, Jared, I, this is not a drill. I'm on mute. Go ahead. <laughs> Got it. Okay, so th- this this relates to Lights FC because LAFC beat Austin FC 2-0. First MLS game of the season as their season started over the weekend. Um, it was Austin FC's first game as a team because they're an expansion team. This is their first year in Major League Soccer. Um, but as it relates to Lights FC... We can kind of put together what the Lights FC roster would have looked like had they played this week, because the Lights FC doesn't, they don't start for ne- until next month, but had they played this week, we can sort of piece together. So Lights FC, if you remember, they announced nine players that were signed as USL-only players uh, earlier this month. We talked about these guys, they've got little to no experience at the USL level or higher. Also, who's more than likely going to be joining the Lights FC team are two draft picks by LAFC. So two guys that I think they're both out of college. Uh, So that would give you 11 players, but none of them really having much experience at the USL level or higher. LAFC this week, they, they had their starting 11, they had their bench. There were seven players that LAFC had that did not uh, even make the bench for LAFC. So presumably... Those seven players would be guys that LAFC would send down to play in Las Vegas. So you'd be looking at a roster of 11 guys that are fairly inexperienced, plus seven guys coming from LAFC. Now, what's interesting is if you look at the seven guys that didn't make the roster for LAFC this weekend, they're mostly unexperienced guys, too. Uh, You've got three teenagers. You've got one guy who's 20. Granted, he's played 26 MLS games in his career. And you've got another guy that's 23 years old who's never played in Major League Soccer. He's only played in the USL. There are two experienced guys. They've got a 37-year-old who's played over 300 games. And they've got a guy from Korea who, granted, hasn't played in Major League Soccer, but has played 100 games in Korea's top division, which is probably better than USL. But ultimately, if Lights FC were playing... They would be playing with guys that have basically no major league exper- major league soccer experience except one or two, and very few with USL experience. So I'm very fascinated to see how this works out because I don't think the U- the Lights roster is going to actually be that good this year. Why do you think Tom Brady went to the Inner Miami LA Galaxy game? <laughs> Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you go? That was a good yeah. game, too, by the way. 
was a good game. Uh, yeah, so uh, <laughs> I got to call Lashbrook, by the way. Um, wanted me to do something before the season starts. So oh, has boy. any of the news you just announced made you happier or more skeptical as a guy who knows more about the lights, including Brett Lashbrook? Well, skeptical. Um, I, I think because here's, here's going to be the hope. Because right now, LAFC only has one injury. Well, going into the game, they had one injury. They had a couple guys leave because of injury. So they only had one injury. And even with one injury, they only had seven, you know, regular or seven players on their roster that they could send down. So once they get more injuries and once they start playing and they have, you know, if they have a game on Wednesday after a Saturday, they're going to rotate their team. So presumably that seven number that they could have sent down to Lights FC is going to fall. And I think we're going to be talking about during the season that, oh, LAFC sent down three players, right? They sent down two players instead of sending down seven players to play. And that's going to make it harder to win because you're going to have a roster of guys that are not really haven't really proven themselves at the USL level and you're only getting one or two guys from LAFC. I think if you could if you could say every single lights game they would have at least four guys from the LA, LAFC roster even if right. they're guys that are inexperienced, you'd feel pretty good about it because okay, maybe the rest of the roster is below average, but if you have four guys that are at least close to major league soccer quality, then all right, that that should be good enough to win in the USL. But I'm not. I'm not so convinced they're going to have four every time because again, once they start getting these injuries, you're, you're going to start dwindling in numbers. And LAFC, the biggest problem with this is that LAFC is always going to be more concerned with LAFC's results than Lights FC's results. They're never re- truly going to care about Lights FC's results, and you're going to end up with what's probably going to be a bad roster in the USL playing the majority of these games with just a few cameos from uh, legitimate LAFC players. I'm going to have to test right now your soccer passion and love for the game. Right now, what will you be more disappointed in? No no lights playoff berth or the Aces don't get it done and win the WNBA title? Well, personally, I'll be more disappointed yes. if there's no lights playoff berth. Okay, all right. Because yeah. I really I mean, like it, the Aces as well. So, I mean, I, you know, I just, I mean, I, I think it'd be a, well, here's the other thing. Well, let me ask you, what's a bigger upset then? Because the lights, obviously, you have a lot of opportunity to get like whatever it's that last playoff spot where the aces i mean they're they're somewhat of a favorite i do not think the aces are going to win a title until they start shooting threes so i guess the bigger upset is lights fc not making the playoffs even though i'm sitting here even though i've given you for five minutes why i don't think they're gonna be any good (laughs) for five minutes you told me they're not gonna be any good now they're making the playoffs (laughs) and the aces are losing in the playoffs as well so (laughs) i I would say neither one happens, but I would be I would be more surprised if lights miss the playoffs simply because the half, more than half the league makes it. It's like sixty percent of the league makes it. Just be not terrible. You can those, be below average and you're fine. Then oh, those well. four players you don't know who's not very good better be pretty good when they get when they come to the lights. They better be. Oh. Come on, just give me a playoff game. That's all I want in life.